Welcome to an emergency Romaniacs podcast. It's me, Naomi Smith. I am fresh from getting absolutely drenched outside the Supreme Court this morning. An enormous thank you to anyone and everyone listening to this podcast who came along and stood out there in the torrential rain with their placards in silent protest um, ahead of the judgment. Obviously, we're absolutely thrilled. We wanted to bring you um, some quick reaction to it. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by friends of the podcast, returning to give us his constitutional wisdom, David Allen Green. Hello. Hi, David. So initial initial thoughts, is there is there a particular difference between, um, you know, the, 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 the de facto and the de jure of all of this, like what it actually says and what it, what it really means for us? Well, constitutional law continues to be exciting and people will know that constitutional law should not be this exciting. <laughs> and of all the excitements of Brexit from a constitutional point of view and there have been quite a few so far mm. uh, brexit has pushed the constitution to its limits it really has this has this judgment is a highlight in it could be said that this judgment is perhaps the most significant constitutional law judgment of the highest court for at least a generation wow it's not because what the court has invented it's not like a case like marbury and madison in the New, in an america or some other cases where the judges have developed the law the importance of this case, its significance and its value, is that it reaffirms and reasserts the constitutional principles of parliamentary sovereignty and the rule of law in a situation where even two, three months ago, a lot of us would have said, this isn't a justiciable case. This is not something which can be decided yeah. by a judge. I would have said two months ago, the chances of this going to court yeah. were zero and winning. Now, emphatic 11-0. There we go. For the wall of law. (laughs) It's been an astonishing case to follow and it's a wonderful judgment. Brilliant. And we're going to be talking a lot about it. Um, And we're very pleased to welcome to the podcast for the first time, which is a big oversight on our part, I think. Uh, Not only is she a QC, but she is also a legal commentator. We are joined by Shona Jolly. Shona, welcome. Hello. I'm thrilled to be here. On such a monumentous day. I'm soaked and thrilled to be here. Soaked and thrilled. Okay, well, you're still looking fantastic. Um, You were a prolific tweeter during Miller One case. Um, Bessa Britain has backed um, lots of the cases that, that have been... Uh, involved in the Brexit debate. We were absolutely thrilled to be backing Gina financially on this one and thank you to everybody who crowdfunded um, that with us and and helped make it possible. Uh, Were you sort of giving live tweeting commentary today or have you been sort of sticking to the traditional airwaves? No, I actually uh, tried to tweet my way through the judgment as Lady Hale was giving it and then I tried to tweet my way through the written judgment and I now have fingers that don't work. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Shoes that are soaked. (laughs) Shoes that are soaked. But, you know, we have a constitution that's working so it was all worth it and would you pick a fight with lady hale i'm not sure i would after i'll tell you what i want i want her spider brooch oh right yes you're very good <laughs> um okay so um uh, like david let, let me ask you this question you you've sort of covered it a little bit because you've sort of said it you know in terms of a generation but where does today's decision rank in terms of constitutional landmarks like if, if they had podcasts in 1689 what would they have been saying well the first thing about this case which is striking is that it is written as a constitutional judgment you can have cases which are of constitutional significance which read like a technical manual with and you would find it difficult to identify the legal principle at stake and the judges try and hide it because they like to pretend they're not deciding Mm. huge questions this judgment is written deliberately 
as a constitutional judgment. It will be quoted for years to come, both by academics and, and, and by lawyers in practice. Mm. It is meant to make sense to outsiders. And within it, it sets out as plainly as possible the, the appropriate roles of the court, parliament and the executive and what their proper realms are. Mm. And it is unafraid to say, yes, this question has a political element to it, but it has a legal element to it and that is our job and we yeah. have to decide it. It is, a, I wouldn't say it's brave, it's a judgment which actually is unfazed by mm. the political thing. It is judges doing their job. Yeah. And and it was unanimous. And, you, you know, you've commented on this. So that was 11. Now, we were watching it, obviously, incredibly closely at Best of Britain, um, supporting Gina the whole way through. But it was, the, I think there were at least four judges last week that didn't appear to sort of give give away their poker face at all. We we couldn't read it. Shona, this morning, what were you sort of preparing yourself for emotionally? Or, or did you think that, you know, it was going to be well, as clear cut as it was? I mean, I think... Uh, there was a number of us who thought last week, who followed the hearing last week, and uh, and we thought, look, this just looks like it's going, it's going the way of Gina Miller, and Joanna Cherry. It looks like it's going their way. Their arguments were very powerful. Their counsel had far less questions, um, but Lord Keane and um, uh, James Easy both were asked an awful lot of really difficult questions. Now that in and of itself isn't enough to give away the end result. But the complexion of the answers to those questions was really ugly because mm. effectively what you had was the government saying, we've got carte blanche. We can do whatever, whatever we like, we whenever we like, we for as long arbitrary. as we like. Mm. We can be mm. entirely arbitrary. And you lot, you 11 justices, got nothing to do with it. Yeah. And that was so ugly. Mm. And it was so contrary to the direction of modern public law, to the context of accountability within the heart of modern public law that it really seemed to me that it would be crazy, actually, for the judgment to go the other way. Crazy not because it couldn't go the other way, but because it would make a mockery mm. of our separation of powers, of our democracy and of the parameters of governance within, within which we work. But having said that, I don't think any of us predicted a unanimous judgment because there are judges amongst those 11 that you would have thought would be much more reluctant to get involved with this. And so mm. I think the 11 strong at the end mm. isn't just a sign of how, how, how much they believed and what they got to, but it's also a sign that actually it makes it much harder for everyone else to pick it apart. And, di and did you get a sense that, it, that that hubristic sentiment from the government was, you know, going to work against them? I mean, did it, did it sort of feel that some of that sort of very bullish language um, was likely to result in, in in turning the judges off you know I think they could there, there could have been another way um, for example you know there are some commentators saying that if the government had accepted from the outset that this was justiciable in other words that this was fair game for the courts then actually there may have been some judges who were less inclined but the stance of the government was such that I'm not sure that they could have they could have even accepted that because their whole proposition from beginning until today just as we were walking in here I saw Laura Koonsberg reporting that number 10 were already undermining the judgment they were saying they've made a terrible mistake they were saying that they've involved the timeline of Brexit which was terrible that's actually a real mis a really misleading and I have to say I think deliberate misleading mm. of the court's judgment which is very very clear yes I think the government lawyers were unhappy with having to present the case they were left with mm. They were yeah. trapped by those who had instructed them. 
and if if I, I used to be a government lawyer and a decision like this could have been perhaps choreographed a little bit better. You could have had better documents. You could have had the witness statement setting out the reasons for the prorogation. None of that was there. It was an the ultimate ambulance pass yes. of 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 a of of, of a, having to do the advocacy. I felt sorry for the government lawyers having to present this case. That said, it didn't really come down to how bad the government legal side was. There was still an incredible job which had to be done mm. by especially Lord Panic. Mm -hmm. This case literally has no direct precedent. Mm. Courts have never decided this point before. So how do you do that? Well, it's not enough to say, well, the court should intervene. You have to fashion a legal rule, a legal principle which you can apply. And what Panic and one or two other of the advocates did was bring the judge's attention to other significant constitutional cases where the courts have stepped in to protect constitutional rights mm. and said, if you look at that case and you look at this case, you can draw a principle together and the judgment itself is littered with some of the greatest judgments Go on, give in us, English constitution. Give us a read out of your best bit. <laughs> Entick and Carrington, case of proclamations, wonderful. If you had a list of the greatest constitutional cases mm. in in. in uh, English constitutional history, they are all in this judgment. And the court took the challenge mm. of identifying the principle to be applied and then applying it. That was the difficult thing. And really, from 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 a outside point of view, once that had been done by the judges, once the judges had identified the correct legal principle, then I think it was relatively straightforward because the facts were very much against mm, the government. Mm. And it's also interesting that the court also did not go too far with its remedy. It made no coercive order. It made no injunction. It just said, we're declaring this unlawful. Back to you, Parliament. You sort, sort it out. out. Yeah. And we almost saw Tom Brake hot-footing it straight across Parliament Square to go and sit in the in the chamber. Uh, he was there, ready, ready to do it. Shona, can I ask you, because um, uh, people will ask me this as, as the camp, you know, sort of one of the lead campaigners on all of this, um, standing outside, getting soaked uh, with lots of volunteers. Um, have, you know, does, have we definitely closed off all the routes for government on this? Or is there anything that's going to attempt them, prevent them attempting to prorogue again? Because all of the language last week was, we don't care what the what the court finds uh, on Monday, we'll just go for a second prorogation. Has has today changed things I have legally? To, I have to say, I'm, I don't think you can put anything past what this government's doing. And I just think the briefings from number 10 that we're seeing right now are problematic in and of themselves. You know, this is a unanimous judgment from the Supreme Court. Um, I think the government are on really tricky ground because this is such a solid judgment. You know, had there been a minority dissent, for example, they might have had something to grab onto. Mm. They've actually got nothing to grab onto with this. And the court has made it really clear. I'm just picking up something that David said. David said, well, he was talking about the sort of historical cases that the court relied on. And one of the things that really struck me about the way the judgment is crafted is that Lady Hale started off in the first paragraph by saying, this is a one-off. Um... And I think there's lots of ways to read that and also hopefully a one-off that the Prime Minister tries to do something yeah, like this. Yeah. Because what she then does is, you know, the, the judgment of the court then really reads like a nothing to see here. This is all completely conventional, completely, unorth uh, completely orthodox. You know, if the government tries to do this again, 
then, you know, we'll ask the same question. And again, the question that the court has now determined is relevant for the question of prorogation is, does it have the effect of the effect, never mind the purpose or the mode, the effect of frustrating or preventing without reasonable justification um, the ability of Parliament to do its job, to scrutinise. And I think I mean, that's the test yeah. now set there. Yeah. So how are Cummings and Co in number 10 going to seek to avoid well, it? Well, and I that mean, test yeah. is set out in paragraph 50, which I think is wonderful. Do you want to give us a, a little, a, little a, snippet a, from paragraph a, 50 there, David? As a counterpart to article 50. Yeah, I just on. think it's quite <laughs> nice. Give us a bit judges. of paragraph 50. <laughs> think of that, David. Good one. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, the, what the judges said unanimously, uh, a decision to prorogue Parliament or to advise the monarch to prorogue Parliament, will be unlawful if the prorogation has the effect of frustrating or preventing, without reasonable justification, the ability of Parliament to carry out its constitutional functions as a legislature and as a body responsible for the supervision of the executive. Right, This is cleverly crafted because it talks about effects. So it doesn't matter what the intent was. And no. this is where they sidestep whether Boris Johnson lied to the Korean or whatever. They deftly take it away from what is intended by the prorogation to what the effect will be. Yes. And if the effect is, in more concrete terms, more than a few days lost, bills falling, MPs being prevented from asking questions... Select then, committees from not being... Select committees not being able to take evidence or, or, or publish... If it has that effect, then there's another test. That still can happen. Parliament can still be prorogued with all those dreadful consequences as long as there's reasonable justification. Mm. So what it is now saying to government is if you're going to try and do this again, you've got to do two things. First of all, you've got to be mindful of how much is damage will happen, what will fallout will be. And second of all, you've got to have reasons. Mm. And what interestingly... They describe the Prime Minister in this judgment as having a constitutional role. Mm. It is not enough for the Prime Minister to think about this in terms of party or political advantage. No, he is the executive as well. Because the Queen is neutral, because the mm. Crown is neutral, the Crown cannot intervene, and so it is left to the Prime Minister to take a constitutional view of this question, taking into account the interests of Parliament as well as of, as, as of government. So this is why it's such an interesting constitutional judgment. It is recasting the constitutional arrangements of this country. It's not changing them fundamentally, mm. but it is articulating them in a clear way. This is a judgment which people listening to this should just read. It, mm. it is a readable judgment, even by non-lawyers. How many pages? 25. Uh, well, there you go. Eminently 25. doable on your commute home. There's just one other thing, Naomi. Go for it. It's really it. worth pointing out. So it's paragraph 61, if you've got the judgment in front of you, but it says this, it is impossible for us to conclude on the evidence which has been put before us that there was any reason, let alone a good reason, to advise Her Majesty to prorogue Parliament for five weeks, etc. Now, that is pretty damning. Do you think it's damning of Rhys Mogg? Do you think he could be in danger here? Could he be thrown under... It's damning of it's, uh, it, the government machinery. Damning generally. of the government. I mean, it's an... Ex, you know, the, the, the court has been very careful to sidestep. I think it's done it very elegantly, the question of motive. I think that was clever too, because they've, in a way, they've taken the heat out of the controversy. And as you say, so it has easy. given the government less to come back at the... There's Much nothing to less hook to on, come back on. Yeah, you know, so they appeals. have to take these kind of slightly... They're going to have to look for ways to try and get around this judgment. And if they were going to appeal, to whom could they? There is they no appeal. appeal. No that's appeal. it. Nothing. That's it. Right, so that's, that's it. it. There's that's no it. 
they're, they're not going to no, no uh, European court to which they okay. can see. According to uh, the leaks which have just been given to some political journalists, Number Ten is studying this judgment carefully. Well, they can study it as long as they want. They can't, find, they can't there's, find. They can't find a way out of feeling it. That, that's really interesting. So um, uh, we're recording this at, just after four pm on Judgment Day, and Boris Johnson hasn't yet resigned. So if by the time you're listening to this, he has, and who knows? Um, uh, but but he hasn't resigned. Shona, what would you? I mean, you sort of touched on this a bit, but the, the fact that he's clinging on for now. Um, what does that say about how he and Cummings are viewing the seriousness of this matter? Well, I have to say, I haven't seen the interviews with him today. I've seen the excerpts that Laura Kunzberg has posted just before I came in here. Um, but the fact that there are sources briefing against this judgment, the fact that there are sources from Number 10 talking about you know, a, a wrong path taken by the court is really worrying because it means that you may have, on the one hand, the Prime Minister and um, uh, Robert Buckland, for example, talking about respecting the rule of law. But if they've got a sort of double tongue going on where one person is saying one thing and someone else is speaking to another group of people, we've seen Leave.eu, for example, all over the internet this afternoon posting yep. kind of real unpleasant accusations about the judges involved in the court yep. then number 10 are trying to make this yep. a people versus the elite yep. argument exactly uh, i hope that actually the support that this case has had broadly in across the country means that actually the majority of people and it shouldn't make a difference whether you're a Brexit or a Remainer. No, it wasn't about ultimately care that rule of law and democracy was restored because at the end of the day, you know, imagine if it was Jeremy Corbyn in there or Joe Swinson, you know, revoking would the lead, would leave to and you still be saying exactly. So, yeah. I mean, really, this is a judgment that should be welcomed by all right-minded mm. people across mm. the country. Mm. David and. and- if if Brexit is about institutions in this country taking back Sovereignty. control, uh, this is a wonderful example of of the Supreme Court working very well. Uh, one of the unpleasant sides of some Brexit Brexiteer arguing is essentially an attack on domestic institutions, the independent judiciary, speak with the House, MPs, whatever. Mm. This is a reaffirmation of robustness of of our constitution. Separation of those powers. As this is a Romaniacs podcast, the question also is, what implication, if any, does this have for Brexit? Yep. Uh, It has no direct implication insofar that we are leaving on the 31st of October by automatic operation of law. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Bingo. (laughs) Unless something happens. Uh, Nothing in misjudgment affects that. Yeah. Nothing in misjudgment affects the operation of the Ben Act, which provides that there should be a request for an extension Extension. if there's no deal. Uh, But what it does do is Mm. do two things, in my view, from a a Brexit perspective. First of all, it ensures that the government is again placed under proper scrutiny in the all-important run-up to the 31st of October. And the EU summit. Yeah. Even if we are leaving on the 31st of October, it doesn't matter. The government should still be under Mm -hmm. uh, scrutiny and that is to be welcomed and it may well be that there could be some changes because of parliament still sitting the second thing is is that it does show that that the number 10 grouping who are somehow being vandals to our constitution Mm. in trying to get their way all the time can't do this they they it's just an emphatic no that this destructive approach to brexit is not going to work 
So is there, will Parliament have the power to remove Johnson without precipitating the general election that uh, he so clearly wants, that I suspect Farah so clearly wants, and that um, the campaigners on the, the Remain side are very, very, very wary about, certainly before any extension to Article 50 has been granted? Well, the complicating factor in all this is the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. The Fixed Term Parliaments Act regulates Parliament. It doesn't regulate government. It tells us who, when we're going to have general elections, there's two confidence votes, and if they're both lost, then you have a general election. There's nothing in the Act explicitly which says if you lose the first vote, you resign. Uh, and it may well be that if the first vote is lost, uh, Johnson will try and carry on till the 14 days are run down. What he can't do anymore is try and get those 14 days behind a prorogation mm. and run the clock down. Yeah. Shona, do you think today has made the odds on stopping Brexit higher or no change? Well, I think I think the one thing it has done, sort of seconding David, is that it has given back the voice to MPs and it's now for MPs to use their voice to properly scrutinise, but also to try and work out the next steps properly. Um I don't think it's I don't think it goes any further towards stopping Brexit. I think it absolutely upholds the rule of law in this country. Um and let's see where that takes us. But I also think it shows what the court's attitude is likely to be if Johnson and Cummings have this madcap plan of ignoring the Ben Act yep. and somehow acting unlawfully. Exactly. The sort of judgment we've read here mm. shows that the court would make a mandatory order. And quickly, and if quickly. they need to. Yeah. And it actually says in the last sentence of this paragraph, which reads almost as if it's been written by somebody from uh, a crime series, uh, we are very happy that the Prime Minister's spoke, uh, lawyer, council, council yeah. accepted that they will comply with this yeah. judgment. It was icy and brilliant. I.e. <laughs> if they don't, we would have made an order that they would have had to have yeah. done so. Yeah. So I think it also lessens the chance of some sort of unlawful act happening. By, yeah, agreed. Because I, the court now has signalled as yeah. clearly as it can do, you are not going to be acting unlawfully. Well, I, you, I think it's saying don't game us. Yes. That's yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We see you. Yeah. We've got your number. Yes. And you, you'll be a very naughty boy if you try anymore. Listeners, that was the brilliant David Allen Green and Shona Jolly QC giving us their immediate thoughts after the landmark uh, Supreme Court judgment today. Uh, you heard it here. Now it's got to be the MPs making sure that the Ben Act is followed. If you want to help pressure your MP to make sure they do that, go to hey-mp.uk and you'll be able to automatically send your MP an email a postcard, a tweet, uh, etc., making sure that, that they uphold the Ben Act. Thank you, David. Thank you, Shona. Thank you, Thanks for Thanks for having us. Bye. 